Some of you may know that I had a career transition some time ago. My original goal was to work full-time in an industry as a DP, and the old me would have been ecstatic where I find myself today. But of course, being human, I strive for more, and the me of today wants better projects, more collaborators who have more similar tastes, to get recognition, to make more money, etc. I currently am both satisfied and dissatisfied in many ways, professionally speaking. I spent many years in my previous profession fixing certain personality traits I learned were not conducive to being successful in business that carried over to this one. And I'm happy to say that while it's still a work in progress, the majority of clients think that I'm great to work with and I have a solid Rolodex to sustain me. Though I could be doing better at outreach, which the pandemic has sort of put a pause on since I knew many of the sets weren't doing protocols. So with all that, I sometimes get annoyed of the system and my own expectations. After studying cinematography intensely over the past couple of years, through many resources to get beyond newbie status, it's starting to feel a bit like a constrictive box in some ways. And while logically all the rules make sense and are preferable to my own aesthetic, such as lighting up stage, backlighting where possible, etc., it feels like each successive project is either the same thing over again or doing some sort of variation that builds on top of what I've done before. A constant game of one-upsmanship. I understand the world is a competitive place and it's a marathon to keep at it, but I'm getting a bit exhausted of striving all the time. And while taking a mental break, decided to write this to see what other people would have to say about this. The strange thing is when I try to imagine myself staying at the same level I am now in a few years, it disgusts me because in general, stagnation is like death to me. So the only way to go is up. I just don't feel like it's healthy to keep on the way I've been going through. You know, it's just one of those things where, I mean, I'm sure you guys have, have had this too, where you just wake up one day and you're like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? And that, that was basically the moment that I had. And um, it's those in-between moments where you basically, you have a lot of stuff going on, but nothing's really going on like at this instant. So, you know, there are projects in the pipeline that are maybe happening one or two months from now. And this stuff is in post, um, you know, a lot of like their narrative stuff I've been working on. So nothing is really... I guess, uh, what's the word manifesting like right now, right in the right. here and the now. And so, you know, when you see, when you see people like scrolling through stories all the time, this is part of the reason why I jumps off to social media, because when you're, when you're in that place of just like a pause and, and waiting for stuff to happen, um, you have this moment where it's just like, you see everyone, even though like not everyone is working on everything every single day, but it seems that way after seeing story after story after story of like, Oh, this person's on set and that person's on set. And I'm just like, man, like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? And, uh, it was just a, it was just a moment where I woke up and, um, and, and felt that way. And it's decided to like, I was like, Hey, you know, I wonder what other people think about this. And, um, it's funny because a lot of people message me privately, actually, and not just from that, but from other stuff I posted on there and saying, Oh, I'm so, uh, I'm so glad that you post this stuff because I think about it, but I just don't know who to talk to about it. And for me, it's never been about, um, I guess I'm really open as far as what I'm going through with other people because I grew up in a family where people didn't talk about their feelings or their thoughts. And so for me, it was, it was cathartic to really talk to people as far as, um, you know, friends or colleagues or even teachers or mentors just about things I'm going through. So I've never really felt like it's a shameful thing to, to really do. So that's kind of where I came from. Gotcha. So can you tell us a little bit more about like your background? Cause I think you touch about like, you've had a career transition before and you know, you just touched on your family. Like how did you, how did you get here? Um, sorry, I have to press record. So basically, okay. uh, 
how I got here was basically, so I think it's important to understand the background I come from because uh, that kind of informs everything, especially the things that I talked about, I talked about in the post where I come from a very working class uh, background. So my family way back, my grandparents, my great grandparents were all, so my great grandparents were from China, uh, both sides. And essentially, you know, through war and through uh, famine and through all this other stuff that happened in Chinese history, they basically went from, you know, doing well to doing okay. Like I think my mom from some of the records that she did research on was saying that a lot of the family members were actually high ranking people in the, in society. So they had like money and status and all this other stuff, but because of various things that happened through the history of China, a lot of the things got destroyed, property was taken over. And so they had to flee. And so they came over in, uh, I'm, I'm third generation. So my grand, my grandma was born here. And uh, so my family's been here for a while, but basically they kind of had to start from nothing. And so um, that's, that, that kind of informs, I think that, that it's important to know that because that informs like my thought process about why I, I think the way I do. Mm. And so, uh, so I come from a very working class family where my grandparents, they grew up, you know, they were, they were here, they were like very poor. My parents kind of went up just a little bit as far as like financially speaking. And then they got me to a position where I can enjoy more of like a middle class existence. And so uh, growing up, it's, it was never a situation where doing what you wanted to do to make you happy was the thing. It was always, you know, you ha- we, we put you in this position so that you can work hard and you can get a really good job, whatever, whatever that may be, and so that you can raise yourself out of the situation that, that we've been in. Because my father was basically the guy who kind of saved my particular direct family because um, he worked his ass off to get to go from like nothing to, to something. And so I was kind of in line for that. And so uh, I went to school for engineering, actually. I went to like a college prep, like a pretty well-known college prep. But it's funny because like I'm, I'm like the working class kid who was growing up around like all these rich kids. So I got to see like, um, what, what's, the, what's the word? Uh, entitlement at its finest. It's like people who would get BMWs for their 16th birthday and be like, the fuck, this is a used, my parents got me a used BMW, this fucking, like, this is horrible. And so I, I just kind of grew up around that. And so like, I was always grounded in the sense of, you know, I knew where I came from, but then I also saw, I was also around this environment where people expected more, which is interesting because I'll touch on that in a second. But, um, so just kind of like this, this dichotomy of this dual existence of like, well, I'm in touch with these people and I know these people who have lots of wealth and money and, and family money, but I'm from this background of, working class family where we didn't have a lot. And so I went to, went to school for engineering, graduated with, with a degree, did that for I think eight or nine years. And artists like being like working as an artist or creative or whatever you want to call this field was never really an option. Like I didn't even, I didn't even realize that there was a whole industry of people who were making movies. It was like movies just somehow appeared on the screen. So it wasn't even like a, a thing, like an art, like being an artist was uh, people fall into that. I was, I was, falling into that, you know, if you wanted to be an artist or a creative person, that meant you were going to be poor for the rest of your life. And I know you guys talk about that in some of your previous um, podcasts and whatnot, but like, so that was the whole, that was the whole mentality around it. So uh, probably about six or seven years into doing the whole engineering thing. um, I was also doing music on the side as kind of like a hobby, like just producing music, playing music. And uh, I actually hired this guy. This was around like when the 5D came out. I hired this guy from Texas because I loved his work. Like he was just getting started. I talked to him online. I was like, "Hey, you want to? I'll pay you like you know, three hundred bucks to come out direct a music video for me. You can stay on my, you can sleep on my couch." And uh, he came out, and I had so much fun that day. Yeah, I had more fun doing that than any other creative activity I'd ever done in my life. 
And so um, I was like, damn, there must be something to this. And so I actually went out and bought, I bought a T3i. I just started shooting any and everything. So, you know, you know, those guys who are just around with cameras all the time, like just being super annoying yeah. at like dinners, birthday parties, whatever. I'm like, hey, let me you know, take your photo. Let me take a video of you. And people That's are like, all of us that, probably. what the hell are you doing? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of feel like a lot of people like do that when they get started and they're really passionate about something. You just like kind of go all in. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I was that guy for sure. And then eventually I just started and this was it was kind of like an opportune time, too, because um, YouTube was just starting to the influencer life was just starting. It was like right before that. This was like when Philip Bloom, Dan Lenny and like all these guys that, you know, we all knew when the whole DSLR thing get, started uh, happening. And so I just started posting random reviews. On, I mean, I'm sure I think we kind of talked about this like a long time ago when we were at that uh, that meetup that you, that you did. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was like, you know, I just did like reviews just for fun. It was just for like fuck it. Like, you know, I'm bored. I want to shoot something. I'll, I'll shoot a review on like this tripod that I got. And eventually like people, like my friends, like I would post them on Facebook just as like whatever. And my friends and uh, people that I knew were like, Hey, like I really like the stuff that you're shooting. Will you come out to this music venue and shoot my show? Or like, you know, will you shoot this little advertisement for my business? And I was like, Oh shit. Okay, sure. And at the time, like I didn't even realize that it was something I could charge for. And then they were like, Oh, well how much money do you want for it? And I was like, Oh shit, really? Like, I was like, don't worry about it. Like I'm, you know, I'm not trying to make money off of this. Were you doing engineering at the time or I was, yeah. So I was just, this was like on the nights and weekends when I was just having fun being creative. And, um, yeah. And so, uh, essentially what happened was this one client of mine, it was like the first paying client was like, dude, no, I'm not, I'm not taking your work for free. Uh, I'm paying you. So how much do you want an hour? What do you think is reasonable? I'm like, I don't know, like 20 bucks an hour. Like at the time I was like, that was like, why not 20 bucks an hour? That sounds reasonable. And so he was like, okay, cool. And so from there, more and more people just started offering money to me. And I was like, okay, I guess this is more reason to buy more gear. <laughs> so I just started doing that. And, and it got to this point where it, I was making a decent amount per year of doing freelance and not even trying. And I was like, okay, you know, maybe this is, maybe this is, uh, maybe this is going somewhere. And so, um, it was at the time where I was getting out of music. I was just kind of like, all right, well, you know, the whole music thing, I'm never really going to get anywhere. I was starting to like look at the finances of, of the whole thing. And I was like, you know, this is just a, fu- a fun hobby, but it's never really going to be anything I could really do. But this whole film thing, there might be something in it for me for that. So uh, after a couple of years, uh, I was, I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area, but the market there is not very big. And so I was talking to a few friends who were also kind of bored. They're also musicians. And they were like, you know what? We, we want to make a change. We want to move somewhere. So we all started talking and it was just like this open conversation and it was like, well, we can either go to LA or New York. Those are the two main hubs for media and entertainment. Right. And, um, and you know, I, I, am from California and so I know what the LA scene is about and I wasn't really into movies. Like all the stuff I was shooting was like, was music or oddly enough, like fashion. And that's how I got into the whole fashion thing. I just, you know, I really loved the, the whole industry and, um, I was doing a lot of photography at the time too. And so I mean, we all decided New York city. So, we moved to New York City. That was the whole thing. I basically, I basically emptied out my savings and had kind of started with nothing in New York City again. And so, uh, you know, after a couple of years, I was able to transfer my engineering job. They had another office there, and you know, my manager was super cool. He was like, you know what, everything's computer based anyway. As long as you're doing your work in the time that you need to do it, I'm totally cool with you doing that. So, thank God for that because that was a, a huge thing to kind of help me through the process. And so, after about two and a half years of doing that, I was able to build my network up enough. I was just basically answering all sorts of casting calls and like, you know, going on mandy.com and like all those, these random websites. And I was able to build up enough of a clientele to where I was making just enough to, to pay all the bills and, and have a little bit of savings. And so 
that's kind of that's kind of where I landed and and uh, kind of been building since then. Awesome. What did your so parents like, and family think of? Sorry, Evan. Just you want to go first? Or? No, you can go, Chris. This is <laughs> see. This is very uh, yeah. Um, the worst part of remote interviews. Exactly. The Zoom <laughs> delay. Um, what did your family think of your career change? It was funny because uh, well, my dad. My, my dad's a. He's been an accountant for like 30, 40 years. He's retired now, but he was an accountant, so he always did my taxes, and so. I think had that not been the case, they probably would have been a lot more worried as far as right. like, uh, my, my parents were always about financials. So they, they always told me like, you know, you have to think, do this X, Y, Z, think about that, think about this. And that's why I think it took me a little bit longer to trans- transition than I wanted to. Cause I was, I always have that in my mind. Right. And so, um, I, I think that, uh, even up until the point where I was freelancing the first year, my mom was like, Oh yeah, it's like still a hobby, right? Like I, you know, they just didn't understand. Just making what, sure that you weren't going to do it full time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because and because you know to why I, you know why I brought up what I did in the beginning is because my family again comes from that working class background, so th- it, right. this thing isn't something that they understand. Right. It's not. It's not like a reality of like artist or creative. You know, it's like if you're not an engineer, if you're not a lawyer or a doctor or anyone or working in like a trade, how are you making a living? Like, doesn't make any. Doesn't compute because that's not something that they grew up around. They didn't basically no one in my family knew that that was an option. Um, so yeah, for, for the first, I think they were more confused than, than angry than anything. Like you, you hear a lot of parents in, in, uh, I'm going to speak to the Asian community specifically because that, that's the community that I know, but like a lot of Chinese and other Asian, um, like Koreans and Japanese people that I know, it's as soon as you want to go into this other field that, that isn't a guaranteed paycheck that doesn't pay like, you know, hundreds, 200,000 a year. And so on and so forth. And it's not like prestigious. It's like, what are you doing with your life? Like we worked this hard to, to have you do this. Like, doesn't make any sense. And so, um, you know, coming from, coming from that background of like strong, strong academics in the Asian, you know, Chinese background, that was like the focus. And so now it's just like, well, what do you, like, I just don't understand. Like, what, like, what is this? Yeah. But But when they saw the actual numbers, they were like, so my dad was doing, okay. Exactly. Yeah. So my dad was doing that. And when he saw, I got to a point where I was, I was doing, I was doing fairly well after like three years of doing it. And I, I had basically surpassed what I was ma- making doing the engineering thing. And so at that point it was like, I think there's a still a little bit of confusion happening, but it's not as much of like, are you, are you like, are you okay? Like, are you okay with money? Like, how is it? It's like, okay, you know, he's doing his thing. I, we totally, we don't understand what this is, but he's making a living at it. And, uh, you know, I guess it's fine now. So I'm yeah. just gonna, yeah, that's, that's kind of where it is right now. Gotcha. That makes sense. What, uh, what was the process like going, you know, I think there's two parts of this, which is one, the process of going from, I don't know, 20 bucks an hour to making more money doing this than engineering. And when did you decide to like cut the rope and go full bore into this thing? Yeah. So the 20 bucks an hour thing lasted for a long time. I would probably say, cause I started shooting in like t- 2011 as a hobby and uh people started paying me i think in like 20 like late 2011 um 2012 early 2012 and it it was like that for like two three years and because because i i didn't really think about it from a a career standpoint it was more like i just want to accumulate as much gear as possible and if these people are going to help me help pay for it then that's that's cool and it wasn't until i moved to new york and i was like okay so i I, the reason why i moved here was because i wanted to make it a full-time thing and so the the only way to make it a full-time thing is to make sure that the numbers work so uh, again, going back to the post, you know, I, I'm really open when it comes to talking about anything, like whether it's personal feelings or, you know, even 
politics or finances. I'm just like, I ask people, I'm not, not shy about that at all. Yeah. And so, um, I started talking to people. I was like, Hey, you know, what's a, what's a reasonable amount to charge for this? Like, I didn't ask people what you're making specifically, but I was like, you know, what's a reasonable amount to charge for this? Am I undercharging? Am I overcharging for my, where, where I'm at as far as skill level? And people just started telling me about this stuff. People that I had met, you know, do various projects and whatnot. And, um, shout out to my boy, Brian Choi, who I work with a lot. He's a director in New York city. He, he actually pushed me really hard to say, dude, like, no, this is not the rate that you, that you're charging. Cause this is not the industry standard. So you should right. be charging this. And this is what, when we bring you onto project, this is what I'm going to put you as. And so, uh, he did that, he did that a lot. And that got me into the mindset because I think for a lot of people, when you're in a nine to five mindset of like working like a salary job, it's like, you're going to, you know, if you break that, if you break down, like, I think it's like a hundred thousand dollars a year, I think it breaks down to something like pre-tax. It's like 400 or $450 a day or something like that, uh, working five days a week. Right. And so, you know, it's about, you know, between eight, eight or 10,000, it's like 8,000 something a month to, to make a hundred thousand. And so when you're used to thinking in that, in those terms, it's like, well, why, why would I charge a thousand dollars a day to be a DP when, and, and work like six to eight hours on like a smaller commercial set versus like I spent, I used to spend 12 hours at a desk making $400 like pre-tax. That doesn't, right. why, like, why would I, why would I charge one? That doesn't make any sense. And so, you know, it wasn't until later on where I realized, you know, it's, it's, it's the, supply and demand thing it's like if you have a certain skill skill set that people really want like if you if you can create this look that not everyone can do then that's actually worth more than you know just going into a nine-to-five job doing something that more people could do so um after start, after looking at the numbers and being pushed by various colleagues um to push my rate up that's when that's when i started seeing traction as far as um being able to make it more of a full-time thing versus just a side thing well, and it's shocking when people say yes, right? When you start, like, like I had that experience. I had a very similar story to you. I feel like our stories are, are crazy similar in a lot of ways. But, like, where I had a first commercial client that was like, hey, we want to pay you. And I did the same, like, I don't know, I was making, like, $15 an hour at Marshall's or whatever it was at the time. And they were like, oh, well, our last guy was $150 an hour. And I was like, what? And, you know, is that like <laughs> your, what you're saying, like your whole brain just twists and like starts to do the math. And I remember right. being like, if I was full time, 40 hours a week, what would that add up to? And then it's like, then you realize that doesn't happen. Um, but I guess I'm curious too, you know, as you're looking at that, cause two things, one, I think that like we talked about a little bit, um, in episode three, that idea of like having industry people you trust to challenge you and push you on things like that and to be able to mm-hmm. bounce like, hey, what's my rate? Um, I think also to what you said about just like asking people, I feel like people act like that's more taboo than it is. And I just ask people all the time. Like I ask, mm. I've asked agencies what budgets are on things that I'm getting asked to shoot. Like I just ask and people usually will say, and I feel like that ends up being better for everyone. Um, I was talking to a friend of ours today who's a really good colorist and he was like, man, I wish I knew what so-and-so charges for something like this and I was like just ask him like he'll probably tell you like what his color rate is it's not a secret in our industry you know um so I think that that like the two things of like get people you can ask about your rate and then like ask other people what they're charging are both really helpful tips and things that have been helpful for me so people should should listen to that and go go do that yeah absolutely I I think that I mean I think in general I don't know if it's America specifically but um it, there's a there's a big taboo just talking about money in general, even even with peers. Like uh, I think because part of it is like it may be like keeping up with the Joneses thing, or it may be like a I don't I don't know what it is, but I found that a lot of people are like as you were saying, I've been uh, kind of shy about money for for whatever reason. But um, 
I think I think the approach that I've taken, which I found successful, is to um, you know, the, I think asking more of like a, a rate versus like what's what trying to figure out like what a snapshot is versus like trying to figure out someone's entire financial picture. Right. So there are people, there are picture people are like, Oh, how much do you make? What do you own? Like all this other stuff. Like, I think, I think like, you know, there's a point where you get too invasive, but then there's also a point where I think a lot of people are like, Oh, well, I make this much. And, and it's just like, oh, okay, that's cool. And I think if I think the way you approach it is a lot is uh, has something to do with it too, versus getting like weird about it. I think it's one of those things where, you know, you've heard the Hale is saying that, if you're nervous about something, then people are going to notice that you're nervous about it versus if you just kind of walk in Confidence. confidently and talk about 100%. it confidently, like no one's yep. even going to think about it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and I feel like the other thing that I remember from, and, and it's still a thing, but I've been working on confidence with it more, even in just talking to, to friends and stuff is as you start getting hired to do stuff, you know, whether it's your day rate or you're getting hired to do a production. And as those numbers start getting bigger, I feel like there's almost this like sense of guilt when you like still have friends and family members who, you know, are like, like I was making like 400 bucks a week, you know, working, whatever I was doing. And when it starts being like, Oh, will you do this thing for two days for, five thousand dollars or whatever it is you're like i shouldn't tell anyone about this like it feels like some sort of golden goose that you have to have shame about because if you like go tell people then you're gonna get perceived a certain way and especially if you're not necessarily like super thriving financially and in a consistent place but you're just having these little pop-offs of money you don't necessarily want to be perceived as this like wealthy person and like I had something like that early in my life where um in like junior high and high school my parents were in the process of separating my dad was a dentist um and we had moved right before they separated and so we had this sort of like big fancy house but meanwhile we're like collecting quarters out of the couch to like go get gas and whenever my friends from baseball would would come over they'd be like oh you guys are really rich whatever else and it was like i couldn't afford a new xbox and that perception was something that really bothered me that i like had all this money that i didn't and so i feel like there's this sense that like as I was going through my career, it bothered me when people would be like, oh, you must like make a ton of money because you get a couple thousand dollars for a video or whatever. It's like, well, I mean, I do okay. But at the time, it's like, you, it's just like a, you don't want to have to like teach people the whole system of how this different thing works than what they're used to. And so you just sort of like bottle it up and stuff it down because you don't know if you're doing it right. You don't want to look stupid in front of anyone else and you don't want your peers to judge you. Um, and so I think that for me, at least like reinforced the taboo. And then as I found other people who were like willing to talk about it, it was like, oh, this is healthier and helpful and I can bounce ideas off of people and it makes me better. So that, uh, that's cool that, that you've been able to do that in your journey as well. Well, I mean, I think, I think it definitely, uh, comes down to the circles that you're in, but because I think in, in general, I mean, there's this concept that, that I that came across a couple of years ago called stealth wealth, which is, it's basically like, it's for, it's, it's things, it's, it's things that like really high net worth individuals, you know, not that I'm one of them, but you know, that they, they actively do so that people don't get weird around them, which is even if you have like a couple million dollars in a bank, you don't buy tons of shit if you live around, if you live in a neighborhood that has mostly middle uh, class individuals because it makes people feel weird, like for whatever reason, whatever their background of finances is. But yeah, so I, I mean, I've had similar thoughts where, you know, it, it's kind of weird when you show up on set in a smaller set and you have like an Alexa and people are like, oh, like, oh, Mr. Big, you know, money bags. Like, you know, what do you like, you know, you must be making a lot of money. It's like, well, no. 
I mean, I worked really hard and I, you know, I, I have a business and that's how it pays for itself. And if I am, so what? Like, fuck you. <laughs> like, I'm really good at what I do. I don't, I deserve to get paid a lot of money. Why is that like a bad thing? I feel like that comes back to the like artist should be poor thing where people are like, exactly right. how much money are you making on this? And it's like, I don't know how much money is the guy down the street making on his landscaping business as he drives right. his Maserati. Like, I don't feel bad for him. I don't feel bad for myself either. I was really interested yeah, in your in your uh, comment a, a few minutes ago that you think the our talking about money is kind of a taboo thing for Americans. And I'd also kind of like dovetail on that a question to you is like, how would you suggest people that maybe have a problem talking about money or asking hard questions within their industry to their peers um, go about like getting the courage to start down that path of like just asking those honest questions? Well, I think um, I mean that's a, that's a great question. I think. I think it comes, there's a delineation between like business and personal. I think when it comes to personal, people get a lot more, I mean, maybe even business, but like I found that if, if I don't talk to people personally about like their situation, usually it, it, it's fine. It's, it, it's usually people have shame around, and this is, and uh, again, I, I'm talking specifically about my experience of growing up like in a working class, middle class environment. Like if, if people don't, if people aren't doing great, kind of what you were saying, Evan, like, you know, you, you would have pop off some money here and there, but like, and you know, it averaged out to like, you know, being okay. Um, I think like when people are, when you talk to people about their, their private situation, I think that's a little bit more sensitive. However, I think that, so I never, I never do that personally, but like for when it comes to business, I have zero, um, hesitation about talking about money because, uh, I think and it has it always been that I, way. Like, throughout your career, throughout your life, have you like always taken that, that avenue? It started when I it started when I became a business owner. Okay. When I started doing freelancing, because I think in, in the world of like nine to five, it can be, uh, I think it's helpful to talk to peers outside of the, your, in, uh, outside of your, um, specific work environment. But once you start getting into the, I don't know, it gets weird when you work in, in a, in an office and then you know that people who are sitting next to you doing the same job are making either more or less. I think that can be a little bit weird. So that, that whole comparison thing. But I think uh, as far as, as far as advice goes, I think, um, talking to people outside of that environment can be, can be more helpful. So even, even in our industry, right. So like, you know, I don't, I don't like asking people on the same set, like, Oh, um, I don't know. It's, it's a little, it's a little hard. That question kind of caught me off guard, but I think Sorry. my advice would be to kind of actually, um, I don't know, man. I, I've always just been, like I said, like I've always just been open to asking people. So I think it's, I think it's more helpful to ask people that you don't know. I, I think that's what it's boiling down to from, mm -hmm. from trying to distill what I'm, what I'm thinking because there's less of a stigma there. So if you, if you know someone, so say, you know, I know, Evan, right? But we don't really know each other. So right. it's like you making 150, 200, 300,000 a year, like doesn't, that has zero effect on me. Right. Versus like, if I know a DP who's doing similar jobs as me in New York City, and like, I know him personally, and we're doing like similar jobs, and, I'm, and he's making twice as much as I am, I'm like, oh, fuck, like, am I doing something wrong? Right? Yeah. So I think that starts to get, I think it gets weird when you start when it gets closer to home. So hence, like, you know, if you're working with the same people at a nine to five job, it might be weird. But like if you're talking to people outside of the industry or who are in the same industry, but outside of your specific, you know, maybe environment or your city, that might be more helpful because it doesn't foster this uh, mentality of um, competition or, you know, right. one-upsmanship or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Well, there is like there's a second layer to that question, right, where it's like I feel like because you can ask like, you know, 
as you're trying to figure out how to do the business side, if you don't know the business side, it's like, what's your rate or what's the budget? But then I feel like more and more now I'm like, how many days do you actually do? And like, are you getting prep days? Or if it's a, if it's a like production side, like what's your margin at the end of this? Cause I know people who are doing six figure, you know, gigs that are single days that don't cost anything. And I know people doing feature docs for a hundred thousand dollars where they're spending the whole budget. And it's like, that's not the same thing. And so trying right. to like learn that part of thing, it is definitely a line where like, you know, I think to what you're saying, it's helpful when you have people who you're close enough to entrust that you can have those conversations or people that you're distant enough from that it's like safe. I feel like that middle ground is where it gets blurry a little bit, you know, that it's like the guys you might work with, but aren't really friends with. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious, I want to get back into sort of this post that you made. What do you mean when you say that you're a personal development junkie? Uh, I mean, you name it, like, you know, anything and anything that has to do with developing, oneself, whether it's uh, personality-wise, whether it's financially, uh, physically, all those things. So if, probably like thing that the name that everyone knows is Tony Robbins, right? So like I'm not a huge Tony Robbins fan, but like, you know, I, I've, I've listened to him. I, uh, I like him, uh, but I'm not like a, he's not like my guru, but like just anything along those lines where you listen to, you watch and you implement and practice certain uh, things that the, with the intention of trying to get better in a specific area. So I've, I've applied that across uh, many different things, anything from like uh, how to be better in business, how to be better in re personal relationships, how to be better with certain finance things, um, as well as like physically, like exercise, diet, all that other stuff. And so I think that came about when I was, um, well, actually, before I go on, that, that that's kind of what I'm talking about. So I don't know if you have a follow-up question to that specific thing. Yeah, it does. I I do. I was wondering, because you mentioned uh, you came across a guru or personality and something that they said made a concept that you've been thinking about click. Like, I would love for you to talk more about what exactly that thing you were listening to or the concept was, because I feel like you talk about a bunch of other stuff here, but you don't ever specifically get into like what you were listening do, to or what the concept you, was. Do we want to actually like read this whole post so people have context to this? We can. I was selfishly going to say that we should just record it at the end and then put it at the beginning, but we can I, do I it now instead idea. if you want. <laughs> no, no, no. No, that's fine. We'll cut yeah, this out. If you're going to chop it up, if you're going to chop it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're not yeah, one, I, uh, one Back to my question. Here. Do you remember your guru? <laughs> oh, man. Like, it's hard to say. So like, hold on. Before we start rolling, let me just think about it for a second because at the time I did, but now I just don't remember because I'm reading, I'm reading stuff like every single day. Oh, that's fair. Um, let me see. You can say you don't remember. I won't be offended. <laughs> I was just uh, no, curious because you talk a lot about like personal development and like getting mm -hmm. annoyed at the system, but I kept wanting to know what the payoff of like, what's this concept you've been thinking about at the, underneath all of this? Yeah. All right. Let me read this whole thing again, because I don't even remember myself. Like I'm not even in this place anymore. So I'm just kind of like, um, blah, blah, blah. I don't remember what it was specifically, but it, it made me think about this book that I had read recently, which was uh, that David Cruda actually recommended me to read, which was uh, called The Dip. By, I think it's by Stephen Pressfield. I don't know if that's correct or not, but uh, it's, it's essentially about how long to keep going in a certain career path or a field before you know it's time to basically bow out because you've, you either have lost the passion for it or you just know that it's not for you. And so, uh, 
it's funny because a few of the responses on there kind of treated me as like this low level thinking Neanderthal in a, in a way, meaning like, like, uh, you, you know, you shouldn't, there were even quotes that were posted. I, I kind of left, I kind of left Facebook you know, prior to reading all of it, just cause like I needed a break from social media, but it was, it was mostly, there were some really supportive things that were really helpful. And there, there were also some other responses like, you know, like this is a, delu- this is a delusion that's brought onto us by society that, you know, you need to have this career or that money or whatever. And I'm like, I'm like, for me, it's like, it wasn't about that. I, I'm, I'm on level, I'm on like, that's like level one for me. That's like level one thinking of like, I'm going to go into this field. I'm going to dominate. I'm going to make so much money. I'm going to do everything. I'm going to like rule the world. It's basically someone coming out of school. Like that's the mentality, right? Yeah. And then you start realizing how things actually work. And then you start having to adjust around that. So, you know, I've kind of, I've kind of gone through an entire cycle of wanting to do that, being in that place of having success and buying all the little toys and, you know, doing these things. And to actually saying, oh, you know what? I don't really, this doesn't make me happy. I don't want to do any of this stuff anymore. Uh, back to the place of, like, okay, well, what am I really doing it for? Because I've hit a level of success and I've actually hit all my goals. So like, what is the, what is the next plan? So uh, it made me think about The Dip, which is the Stephen Pressfield book where it talks about um, staying in something long enough. And it's about like the plateau. And I was, and that made me think about all, all sorts of thoughts about, um, it had hit everything had hit at, at, a, at a certain point where it was all these social media posts going on, people coming back from the pandemic, people being on all these large sets, actually peers that I've had for a while who are posting that they're on, on bigger sets now. And even though I've gone, I've gone to bigger sets myself, I guess, you know, um, I guess kind of like when you look at all those highlight reels, you don't, you don't really, at least, in, at least I don't really give myself enough credit of like, oh, you know, I'm kind of at the same level too. I'm working on these projects. It's more like, damn, everyone's working on something cool. What, how much longer do I have to work in order to get to this next thing that I want to do? Right. And basically, and, and so the, what made me think that the, the thing specifically in the book that it made me think about was um, he mentions this thing that it, it, the, the, highest, the highest people, the best people in, in every field have an advantage in the sense of they're always referred to as like the go-to people. They're always, they make the most money and so on and so forth. And so for me, it's not, it's not so much of like an ego thing that I'm thinking about when I'm, when I'm talking about wanting to be one of the best in the field, that doesn't mean like I want to be Roger Deakins. Like I'm not saying like I'm going to be better than everyone else. So it's, it's not a competition thing necessarily, even, even though it, it was perceived that way on the post by some people, it was like, I'm not trying to beat everyone else out and be the best. And like saying, you know, I'm going to be on top. I'm going to be number one. Screw you guys. It's more like, well, if I can be the top, one of the top 500 cinematographers in America out of like thousands, then clearly that means that there's certain repercussions for that. That means you're going to make more money because your, your skill set's going to be better. You're going to have more to offer. You're going to get accolades. And so for me, accolades, they actually don't mean anything as far as feeling good about myself. Uh, it actually means when you get accolades, you get recognition. And what recognition does is it brings you more opportunities. And that ultimately means more money. And that means, you know, money for me, money is like freedom and, and options. It's that's less about like buying stuff. It's more like if I, if I want to take a day off here or there, if I want to go on vacation or, you know, I'm uh, something that I've been doing lately. Uh, it's not like a, a humble brag or anything like that, but I kind of got back in touch with kind of like my, my Catholic and Christian upbringing um, last year in 2020. Cause I had a big change in my financial situ- uh, financial situation where I just started, you know, even though it was a pandemic income was down, I was like, I want to start giving back to local places like 
food banks, community places and things like that. And so it felt so good, even though I wasn't making that much, you know, I was making like a third of compared to what I normally make, but to just to give the little extra that I have to other people, there was, there was something about it that like, you can't explain with words and to get like uh, thank you cards from the place that you, you know, that you uh, gave to is, is amazing. Like that feeling can't be replaced. And so I, I, so all that basically is just saying that like, you know, money, prestige and all that is part of a bigger plan that, that, um, that I want to be a part of and that I want in my life. And so playing this like starving artist that we talked about, or this like middling DP who's shy, doesn't really want to go above a certain level. Like, I mean, I think anyone who, who doesn't want to be one of the best, I don't really know why, why anyone would not want to do that. So whether it's ego driven or not, it's just like, there are clearly advantages of being closer to the top than closer to the bottom. And uh, as far as like speaking about value judgments, I'm not specifically talking about whose art is better, whose creatively is better, but what are you offering to society or to the industry in general? And by making this extra money and by getting this extra prestige, you can do so much more with that. Uh, that's that's beyond yourself and that's beyond the ego. That's that's kind of the whole whole thought process that went through my mind when I was thinking about all this stuff. But it starts so, at like so if you can boil do, down I, to like I get there. Yeah, what drives you? Because I'm I'm hearing a lot of things that. I would just love to, if you could distill that, just that simple question, what drives Arthur? Like what, where are you, what's your goal in life? It comes back to, I think I have this inherent feeling that I need to succeed because of what was instilled to me as a child. And so that goes back again, that goes back to what I talked about in the beginning from where my family came from, basically nothing to what I have now, which is, you know, I said, I said in that post, like we all, and I think you guys have said this too, like we all live a privileged situation. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't have to be out in a dirt field somewhere working for like a dollar an hour, you know? So working in this field is like, wow, like I can do, I can do this. This is amazing. And so why do I keep pushing? It's because knowing my family, knowing what they went through, it's like, they put me in this position. So if my, if my deceased relatives or ancestors are like, watching over me right now and i'm just like chilling and like i've gotten to a certain point where I'm, like, oh, I'm just gonna like put it on cruise control it's like why not try to push to the next level that way if there's a next generation beyond me if i'm fortunate enough to have kids so that they can get to an even higher level because you know i didn't grow up rich and so i didn't have certain opportunities that were afforded to me like i didn't even for example i didn't even know that art was a thing and yeah. so for them to even have those options opened up they could contribute to the world in an even better way so for me it's like not necessarily, I wouldn't say a legacy, but it's, it's almost sort of like not disappointing where I came from, the, the, the expectations from that. Yeah. Now the last sentence in your post is, I just don't feel like it's healthy to keep on the way I've been going. So if it's, you know, if you're always trying to push towards something, what is it about the process of you pushing towards that thing in your mind? That's not healthy. It's this thing, um, I maybe, and maybe I haven't come to terms with it yet, but it's, um, like when I'm now I'm pushing more towards narrative film because I've, I've kind of, I kind of want to veer more towards that for, for many different reasons, but it was like, it was maybe two or three years ago before I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to work 12 hours a day for like 20 days in a row. That's, that's, that's absurd. But you know, as I've gotten, as I've started actually doing that, it's just like, all right, well, it's not a big deal anymore. I'm just going to do it. Um, I think it's one of those things where. I'm still in that nine to five mentality of everything cuts off at 6 p.m., 5 p.m. I'm just going to go home and, and not do anything and, and relax. And so 
I think, I think you, you hear this all the time. Like you see like, you know, the rock, you see um, Kevin Hart and all these people who are, I, I don't think a lot of people are made this way, but it's almost sort of like, damn, like they're always doing something. Like, I don't know how they sustain this. I don't know how, how it's possible, how it's humanly possible. Like it's, it, am I, am I doing something wrong? Am I, am I not utilizing my time and my energy correctly? Um, so that, that's, that's where that was leading to. Cause it's, it's, it does feel tired. Like if you're working, not even working, but if you're doing all these other commitments in your life, you know, trying to be balanced in any, every other way, spending time with family, spending time with friends, uh, being physically active, working out, trying to eat well, um, trying to get enough sleep and then trying to add a lot of all the work on top of that and trying to, you know, push forward. It's just, it's exhausting sometimes, you know? Yeah. yeah. Is it fair to say that you're trying to, to balance this pursuit of like better and getting towards the top while doing it in a way that's sustainable and there seems to be some sort of tension there or like, how would you, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely, man. Like I just, um, because on the one hand, you know, you, you have this situation where, you know, you're making decent enough money where you don't have to work every single day, every single hour. So it's like, well, you know, you, you get into that whole mindset of, I de- I deserve this or that. Right. Um, but at the same time, it's like, if, if you stop doing those things that you, that you're doing, which I've done, you know, you do see a reduction or, or, you know, a pullback in the amount that you're, that you're going to be doing in the future. Cause it's always a, I guess in our industry, it's always, if you're not showing that you're doing something, people kind of forget in a way. Yeah. I gotta say hello to my daughter. Okay. We'll yeah. allow it. How do you balance, um, how do you balance like doing things that are sustainable and, you know, making, making smart decisions and balance with, you know, I feel like it's easy to fall into this pattern of more is better. You know, it's like, okay, I hit my goal, but now I'm getting called for more days. Now I'm getting called for whatever else. Like I, you know, whether it's saying a financial goal for the year or whatever else, I feel like we all live a little bit in this tension of not being in the nine to five, that there's this like, I feel like I've spent a lot of my life being a squirrel that always wants to stuff more nuts in the tree, right? It's like, no matter how much money's in the bank, no matter how much I've worked in a year, no matter what's going on, um, it's hard to sort of slow down and take that break to invest in the community, to be present, to just say no and take time for myself. And so like, how do you decide when to say no and to take a break or are you always just sort of cranking towards the next thing and seeing, seeing where you run out of bandwidth eventually, if that makes sense. Uh, so I've already, I've already kind of, I've already hit that point where I think 2017 was my most lucrative year, but it was also the worst year, uh, as far as like personally speaking. And I, I, I don't know if it was a podcast, the number two that you guys talked about, or was it was the number th- I think number three, when you, it was that sneak peek that you did where it was like, you did really well, but everything else kind of fell apart around you. Right. I had, I had that year as well, where it was just like, man, like I could just go down the street and buy a Rolex and I, that that's not even going to affect me. Right. You know, I'm not, not saying that's like, again, to brag, but it's just like that point where it was just like, you focus so much and then you, you reap the, the financial rewards of that at the cost of everything else. Right. And so, um, and then you I'm, spend I'm, all that money trying to fix everything else. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and so like I'm I'm at the point now actually where I'm trying something different over the over the past like probably eight to nine months I've been trying something different and I've actually found it's been it's been very helpful where literally everyone that I look up to um, as far as the people that I, that I speak with every now and then who have had any sort of success and who are kind of one or two levels or or higher above me it's all about uh, um, being selective and so what that means is is one, knowing the value of what you're doing, and two, also 
being selective of, of um, your time. And so part of my financial shift last year was, uh, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with Dave Ramsey, but like, you know, he has this whole, he has this whole like platform and plan. And so my wife and I started following that thing. And, and I realized that I actually, I actually don't need a lot to survive. Like the only thing I spend money on besides food and rent is camera equipment. And then if I stop buying that stuff, then I actually don't need a whole bunch of stuff. And so for me, it was like resetting all my finances made me realize that, oh, well, I don't need to say yes to the $300, 10 hour type job where they expect me to bring camera, audio and everything. Like that makes zero sense because, you know, I could just be home doing marketing or something like that. So what I've, what I've been trying lately um, is to not say yes to everything. So, you know, if, if I have people reach out to me and say, hey, do you want to do this like food shoot? I'll, I'll just say, hey, you know, I don't, spe- I, don't, I don't specialize in food. I know someone who does. I'll refer you to them because they, they would be better served. Uh, and you would be better served because I don't do food. And similarly, like, you know, certain clients who have, who are kind of like on a, I would say like a lower budget situation. Um, it's like, you know what, my rate is this now. And like, you know, if, if you guys can't work that out, I can definitely send you guys like a, a younger cinematographer, but this is my rate and I can't really, can't really offer that to you. And at first it's scary. Uh, because it's like, damn, like I'm turning out, I'm not, it's not turning down this work, but it's just like, it doesn't fit into where I'm, what I'm doing right now. So for example, you know, if you were, if you were, um, I can't come up with an analogy right now, so forget that. But I think, I think, I, th- <laughs> I think it's, um, I think it's just one of those things where you just have to realize that like, okay, you're at a certain level now. So if, if someone is, you know, wants to pay you below that level for whatever reason, like that just doesn't make any sense to right. do. Because and it, to get into it, the it, 500, you know, top cinematographers, if that's your goal, you got to say no to get to that point, which is sometimes right. hard when your mentality is, I need to be working because of either my family history, what's instilled in me culturally or all that. It's a very, very weird situation to be in. Well, yeah, I think, no, that's a great point. I think that makes me think of, uh, I'm not going to say who it is, but you know, one of the guys who's been mentoring me, um, that word's kind of weird. I never really liked that word, but this guy who's been like kind of helping me out over the past uh, couple of years, he's like, he's like, dude, you're thinking nine to five mentality. That's not long-term thinking. You, you have to think long-term. And it's because um, I think, you know, I was in that world for like seven, eight years. And so like, I'm always thinking like, well, if I'm not working today, Chris, to your point, like, what am I doing? Like, if I, if I'm not like taking this job, even if it's, even if it's for like 200, 300 bucks, like why, why would I like not, you know, go, go for that job. Right. And so, um, yeah, I think, I think, uh, but you know, there's, there's also the opportunity cost of that. Right. So for example, if you are, um, someone, someone had said something to me, I think it was, I think it was Shannon Palmer on the, on the salon where we were, it was a discussion about finances where she was saying how, um, her ability to not to control her impulses as far as finances are concerned, allow her to more time in between projects so that she doesn't have to take every single job because what that allows you to do is that allows you to spend more time on the jobs that you actually care about and therefore have potentially a better outcome, which will build up your real or whatever you want to call it, your portfolio even better. And then give you that mental downtime in between the projects. And so I've been trying to take that more of like that more long-term approach versus like, uh, running around with my chi- running around like a chicken with its head cut off, trying to take, trying to scoop up every single thing that comes right. along. That's, right. that's been my approach for the past like eight, nine months. it's such a game changer and i think that's like that's something that i've always been really passionate about is this like if you if you're smart (laughs) the 
the buffer and the bandwidth you can build yourself to then say no to things and say yes to the right things. It, it gives yep. you so much opportunity to lead towards the future. And I did something similar, you know, to what you're saying, um, that it sounds like you did where I went through in January and I was having sort of another moment where it was like, you're saying like between everything, everything I was working on had wrapped and nothing new had started yet. And I was like in this real funk and I went through and I was mostly panicking cause I was like slow season <laughs> pandemic, whatever else. And I started figuring out like, what do I need to make to pay our bills this year? And like once I had that number in front of me, it was actually like, oh, this isn't that scary. And if you're at if you're at the very beginning of your career and you're trying to figure out like how to do that, it's terrifying. If you're looking at like three hundred dollar videos, you're like, how do I ever get to that? But if you're like yeah. on the other side of this that you're listening and you're burnt out, it's like figure out what you actually have to make, and then figure out how to get there. And then like, just start saying no to other things and being really tactical about what you say yes to. And maybe that's saying yes to a short film that there's no budget on because you did a corporate thing and were able to pay rent, like whatever, however you want to approach that. But like, I think the, the rat wheel of just like, I made money, so I bought gear, so I made money, so I bought gear. And so now you're always right. trying to make payments and you're trying to keep up with everything that it's like, if you can just set yourself up stably financially that that actually gives you the opportunity to say no pick a target and like drive at that target because it sounds like another thing you're talking about is you're willing to say no to food stuff where like a lot of us for a big chunk of our career will say yes to anything we get called for because it's like it's a new thing it's a new opportunity but you hit a point where you realize oh for me to get to the top in anything i sort of have to pick a thing like no one who's right. at the top does everything and nope. so like chris and i have talked about that a little bit that's like if you want to be a card dp like that's what you do you're not a car right. dp and a food dp and a narrative dp and uh you know so i think that it's smart that you're um in that mode um and i think that's probably a, a good thing to to end on but i'm curious uh what what are you driving at now like if you're saying no to food what's the thing that you're like this is what i'm aiming at right now movies so feature films i'm always looking for scripts i've uh, been working on a ton of shorts over the past two three years so that's kind of the the real focus right now. Uh, as far as specialization goes, it's uh, definitely beauty and a little bit of fashion here and there. But I think beauty has been like the my calling card at least. Like I've just done so much work in that industry, and I, I know so many people in it that um, that's the thing I get called for. And I actually I really enjoyed it. You know, so like you know, I shoot a lot of hair, makeup, and skin, and then like you know, I don't have any hair, and my skin is not great, which is you know, that's I always laugh at that, like how I ended up in this industry. But like I actually really enjoy it. So that's kind of the thing that um that I've been focused. That's actually why I came to New York and I've, you know, been working on it for like the past six or so years. And, um, yeah, man, I, I, I kind of love, uh, kind of love that industry. But, you know, aside from that, like the, the, the next focus is, uh, is, is movies.